Forget Facebook and meet Meta. Yes, this week on Download This Show, in a bid for renewal, the mega social network Facebook has renamed its parent company to Meta. And with it announced a suite of possibilities for its future. But are they enough to ensure the next stage in Mark Zuckerberg's empire? Plus, Netflix introduces games, but are we really that interested in playing what they've got? And is that the next evolution for other streaming services? Plus, Yahoo joins the throngs of Western tech companies scaling back in China. All of that and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to download this show. Yes, indeed, it is a brand new episode of Download This Show. Our guest this week, Cameron Wilson from Crikey. Welcome back. Hi, good to be here. Nice to have you back on the show. And Angharad Yo from the Queens of the Drone Age podcast and a range of other excellent podcasts and TV shows you can watch. Angharad, welcome back to Download The Show. I almost wish that I worked for Crikey so that when you introduced me, I could go, oh, Crikey! <laughs> <laughs> well, now you've done it anyway, so it's fine. Yeah. Cameron, Cameron let that chance go. Yeah, mate, missed opportunity. I get to say it all the time, so I thought I'd share it around a bit. <laughs> sure, sure. No one's buying it, but sure. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since this happened, but I'm delighted to finally be able to talk about it and make jokes about it, if we're being honest. Facebook is not quite Facebook anymore. Facebook is now called Meta, Angharad. How did that happen? Uh, well, Zuckerberg got on a creepy little video and told us all that that's how it's going to be from now on. Uh, so just to be clear, the social media Facebook is still going to be called Facebook, but the parent company, which also owns WhatsApp and Instagram and a bunch of different other things, is now going to be called Meta. And they are also looking at diverting billions of dollars into developing what they are calling the Metaverse, which again, according to this slightly creepy video, is apparently a horrible, terrifying place in either AR or VR or both, uh, <laughs> where you can digitally converse with avatars of other people. There's so much to unpack with this. Um, let's, <laughs> I'm just, I, I'm actually, it's actually hard to process all the things I want to unpack. Okay, so let's, <laughs> let's just start with why turn it into a parent company, right? Because we've seen this before. Obviously, Google used to be Google. Now they're called Alphabet. That's the parent company that own all the, the Google fam. That's a technical term. So why are they doing this, Cam? They are doing this, I think, to try stave off the, uh, their, I think, inevitable downfall, <laughs> to put it like... <laughs> wow. To, to, you went all Game of Thrones on this very fast. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling very dramatic today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, we saw from the Facebook papers, which were these leaked documents that came out, also coincidentally the same week they decided to rename themselves, mm. uh, that the number of users, particularly young users, on their main products on Facebook and Instagram is dropping. Right now, they're kind of facing what is essentially an existential crisis. You know, Facebook has kind of become boomer book. Uh, you know, there are people who are using it a lot, but many young people aren't. They're looking at the future and saying, well, like, you know, we don't want to end up being like MySpace, which was, you know, MySpace until it ended up being MySpace. And then, you know, no one really used it anymore. They're trying to stay ahead of, of the curve because, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, these social networks, I think, have a bit of a like, they have a, they have a finite lifespan. And rather than being, I guess, left holding, I guess, as they are, they want to kind of get ahead of it and try and invent something new that gets the gets the young people, the youth. <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing makes you seem older and more out of touch than using the word 
the youth. Okay, let's talk about the the metaverse. As just so, you've obviously you've got this big parent company, Meta. Uh, within that, they've got new apps and services that they're either buying, launching. But the metaverse is a genuinely new slash wildly awkward and strange development. You talked about the creepy video earlier, Angharad. Just for people that haven't seen it, just describe why it felt creepy to you. Well, I mean, for starters, it had Mark Zuckerberg in it and he was speaking and that's always a little unsettling. No, I kid. He, no, I kid, don't. but I don't. Like, I, you, you say that's a joke, but I know for a fact that's exactly how you feel. Oh, look, he just has a way about him, doesn't he? But he explained that the metaverse was something they were going to be launching and then decided to demo it. Obviously, this isn't a thing that exists yet. It's more conceptual. But the demo involved him swiping outfits on an avatar of himself, mm. which also going to say the art style of the avatar I'm not into. Why? And then what, he jumped. What about it? It's just ugly. It's just like I don't even know why the, I asked. It, so the proportions <laughs> of the body were trying to be cartoony, but they don't feel right, and it also feels like something from about like the early two thousands, rather than you know using the graphical powers that exist nowadays. It doesn't matter, Mark. It that, feels that like The Sims. It feels it feels like The Sims. It's like no, The Sims look better than Metaverse. It kind of looks like people from um, Nintendo Wii games. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But like a bit more humanoid. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I've, anyway. I've, I'm doing a bad job of guiding this conversation because I've gotten distracted by <laughs> every possible cul-de-sac available to me. So, okay, so it, it was a creepy video. Is it creepy because of the future it presents or is it creepy because of Zuckerberg? Well, this is actually a very, very funny thing. Metaverse is named after a dystopian digital world that was in a sci-fi novel called Snow Crash in like the 1990s. It is literally named after a dystopian world. (laughs) And and he just did that. I mean, it is how it comes across. You know, he he steps into this um, virtual space where there's on a spaceship and there's other kind of people there and he sort of talks to them. But he also talks about how you can use this technology, particularly in AR, which is kind of digital images overlaid your real environment to, for example, uh, have a view out your window that's whatever you want it to be. And when you think about that in real terms, that's quite dystopian to imagine that we're starting to replace actual nice living arrangements for digital ones. And, you know, we can all say that that is the way that the world is going and um, it's at least better to have those nice things when we, we have limited space. But, oh, man, it made me sad. Is it the way the world is going, though? Because I think the thing that struck me about the the presentation, apart from, yeah, okay, obviously the design of it was weird and Zuckerberg is... <laughs> Not a gifted communicator, let's just say. But I, I think the thing that struck me about it was just how implausible it was. And it, the thing it actually reminded me of was Second Life. So if you're not familiar with Second Life, Second Life was a sort of digital environment where you could build an island and it was a bit sort of, it was a bit like an immersive universe. And for a period of time, a little bit over 10 years ago, it seemed like it was going to be the next big thing. And just every time they show footage of things like the metaverse, I'm like... Didn't we already go down this path and decide it was garbage? Like, did, did we not already decide that, Cam? Yeah, I mean, there wasn't many people who stuck with Second Life, even at its peak. I, I should mention the ABC oh. had an island for quite a few years. It's uh, an amazing part of ABC history, the fact that they built an island in Second Life and nobody oh, came. <laughs> and then it was attacked and apparently the island sank. 
digitally. I don't. Well, well, there's a twelve sorry, part podcast I, in it somewhere. I'm sure. I actually wrote a, a, a long read on it, and um, it was it, like there was uh, initially reported by real uh, newspapers that it was blown up by terrorists, but actually it turns out that it wasn't. It was just an error in the game, and it was also run by furries. But I could go on about that for a long time, and it, we, we don't have enough time. We should um, make a podcast. I, about <laughs> I as for like whether it's the next thing. I mean, VR and AR feels like it's been like five years away from being five years away forever. <laughs> it's always like, you know, it's it's the next big thing. Um, and and I, I think, you know, f- like I wouldn't bet against it. I think that, you know, it, it wasn't long between, you know, the iPhone existing and then changing everything. You know, these things can and happen really rapidly. It just all takes us, I guess, the right kind of, uh, I guess, hardware and software, all of that put together. I think just the thing is, is, is the reason that I personally, as a, you know, self-confessed professional tech nerd, have never been super interested in VR is that it's just harder than other kinds of technology and by that I mean like you know if you want to do something if you want to look in a VR world you've got to put these goggles on you've got to yeah. move your head like all these things that you know when I hear people say it's the next big thing it's happening and I've seen all these like you know use cases where it would be interesting and cool but is it easier than the stuff we have is it easier than scrolling I don't think so and until it has a really compelling use case I think it'll struggle to get that mainstream appeal I do think there is a role for virtual and augmented reality coming up in the world but the value it returns back for the inconvenience needs to be quite high, which is why I think it will become the domain of things like games, right? Because for games, you put on a headset, you put on headphones, you are properly immersed in another universe. But to do that for something as ephemeral as a social network, I just don't, I don't see people signing up for it. But anyway, we should stay on Facebook, but move off this. You are listening to Download This Show. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture, our guests this week. Cam Wilson from Crikey and Angharad Yo from the Queens of the Drone Age podcast. And Facebook are making a very big deal out of shutting down their facial recognition system. What does this actually mean, Angharad? They are saying that they are going to be not only uh, shutting down the facial recognition system on their photos, which is essentially that thing that like reads your face and then tags you automatically. It's awful. All those pictures <laughs> then, you don't want to be tagged in. Then you have to untag yourself and like let the person know who took the photo <laughs> that you did that. Like they're aware that you didn't want that tagged. <laughs> yeah. That's the worst part. It's very passive um, aggressive, isn't it? Like I'm not telling you specifically <laughs> that you took an ugly photo of me, but I'm going to gently untag it and you're going to pick you know, up on the message. And they're also saying that they are going to be deleting all of what they call the templates, which is essentially um, the mapping of individual faces and the associated name or whatever. Um, So they're deleting all of the data associated with the facial recognition system, which is a big move, I think. So why are they doing it, Cam? Like what's, is it just because there's a lot of hate on them at the moment? It's an easy thing to turn off? I think it's partially that. I think for them, it's they've done the calculations. They've been like, well, how much does this actually help us? And I think the kind of benefit for face uh, tagging as it is kind of used at the moment is pretty limited. In fact, I don't even know how many people really upload photos that often to Facebook anymore. Are they really getting that many more people staying on their site longer or visiting it in the first place because uh, they've been automatically tagged? And then the flip side of that is that, you know, facial recognition is kind of this area where regulators are taking a long, hard look at and saying, we do need to do something about this. You know, we don't need to go into the full potential risks of it, but essentially, like, if facial recognition was used 
very widespread usage. It'd be very hard to kind of live a private life anymore. You could be tracked wherever you go. So Facebook is saying, well, you know, we've got some heat at the moment. It's not helping us that much. And we think that, you know, lawmakers will be cracking down on this in the future. Well, it's probably just not worth the hassle. We can get rid of it and also get some good press. Their user numbers have plateaued, right? So they've already learnt the most faces they're ever going to learn. And it's not like they're retroactively turning it off. It's, it's, it's turning off discoverability for new faces, right? Yeah, and I think the important thing is is that they've said they're not using it for their Facebook app, but they haven't ruled it out on using it in other places like Meta, uh, which, you know, they're hoping people will be using the metaverse in the future. They have explicitly said, we're not, you know, ruling it out. We may use in the, uh, like, we're not currently using it is what they've said. So, you know, it's not like these technologies, they're saying it will not be used at all. It's just saying Facebook, we don't, we're not going to keep using it at the moment. They said in their quote that on the Meta website, not the Facebook one, that it's part of a company-wide move to limit the use of facial recognition in our products. So to me, that implies more company-wide, like all of their products. It did always surprise me that it wasn't a more readily available function on things like Instagram, where you would sort of assume that it would just be once they have access to the technology, they just roll it out there. It did always surprise me that it didn't. Like it it wasn't made a, a sort of an automatic part of the the Instagram uploading process? I'm not sure because I never tag people. I don't care to. But from the, like, distant memory I have of tagging people, I think it may have some degree of it because it suggests who you might want to tag. But again, I don't know whether that is just based on who you interact with or if it does have any of this facial recognition in it. But you are right that it's something that's kind of interesting that they didn't push more on a you know photo platform. But I also think to a degree that's because I feel like Facebook likes to keep a separate vibe between you know, it's Facebook platform and it's Instagram platform because they recognize that those audiences are different and their desires are different other than they're trying to integrate Instagram DMs and Facebook Messenger, which I will never, ever allow. (laughs) Uh, I think that's a horrible idea. But I I do think that, you know, they, they try to keep them as sort of more distinct offerings to cater to those different audiences. Right. And the other thing is that um, although facial recognition is just one way of, of finding, you know, identifying people, there are a whole different other ways that they can do that. And, you know, those are very much still in play. Like, you know how everyone's always like, oh, Facebook is listening to me because I figured out this, blah, blah, blah. And actually they're like, well, they don't need to listen to you. They can figure out all these other things about you through all these other factors. You know, th- there was some reporting saying that they're looking at or they have applied for patents on things that would allow people to recognize them by like, you know, the way their eyes move even the way that they, you know, breathe in when they respond to stuff. Like there are a whole bunch of ways that they can use to, or at least they're trying to use to identify people and facial recognition, even if it's ruled out, is hardly the last of them. Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. I guess this week, Angharad Yo from the Queens of the Drone Age podcast and Cameron Wilson from Crikey. Mark Fennell is my name and interesting new development in the world of Netflix. Netflix, of course, famous for movies and TV shows and kids content, also now rolling out Gamescam. Why? 
I mean, there's a bit of speculation about why they've decided to release, I think it's five new games just for Android for people who've already subscribed at the moment. doesn't cost you anything more. Two of them, I think, are tie-ins with Stranger Things, and I think the other three are completely unrelated. I think, you know, there's a whole variety of reasons why they may be choosing to do this. It might be to try and keep people on board for longer, because there was a great article that came out last month saying that people are increasingly, like, just unsubscribing from things like Netflix or other streaming services and then subscribing when they want to actually watch something. So they're not just like keeping, uh, I guess, attached to their subscription. They're just saying, well, I can opt out and opt in back whenever. They're also, I think, sticking their toe in the water to be like, well, can we expand what we do at the moment to try and bring in new customers to do something different? So to try and, you know, ultimately expand the amount of people who subscribe to Netflix. Angharad, you are a gamer. You are, no- mm-hmm. you are knowledgeable in the realm of games. Oh, thank Would you. Would you play a Netflix game? No, <laughs> I have no interest in it. Like, first of all, you have to look at the fact that at the moment this is Android only and that entirely ignores the very, very large iPhone market share. In fact, Australia has 57% iPhone market share. So you're losing, you know, more than half of the market because it's only Android. Furthermore, I don't, necessarily care for game subscription services. A couple of people have tried it. You know, we have Apple Arcade, we've got Google Stadia, which isn't in Australia yet, and also Amazon Luna. And they're just not taking off like these companies thought that they would. And I think that the gaming market is often quite different to the streaming market of movies and TV shows. Gamers often like to own the game. They like to purchase it and feel like, you know, that there was a whole um, big hoo-ha about not actually owning a digital game. And that's something that, you know, gamers want. They find it quite important. Um, And also I think it being a mobile offering is a difficult one because, Mobile games are something that people like to do somewhat casually, just something a little bit mindless, whereas these look like they're trying to be a little bit more meaty. Actually, I did just think of a game subscription service that totally works, and that's Xbox Game Pass. So I take that back slightly. Um, But I think that... (laughs) It was fun (laughs) to go on the journey with you, though, I must say. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But I, I do think that you need kind of more of that draw and that bigger pull like people that want to play mobile games don't necessarily want to go to a netflix platform and look for one to play they just want to play their simple easy ones that they've got or gamers often want to play on a console or a computer are there limitations technically in terms of what you can actually play on some of these games the way they've done it is you actually and this is another barrier to me you open the netflix app on your Android phone, and then you can find a section that has games, and then from there download the game. So I haven't looked at it myself because I don't use Android, but it sounds like it essentially works like another app store, but just for that game's library. And to me, that's another barrier because, again, you're going to have to go specifically looking for it and then wait for it to download to be able to play it. But obviously you would have those usual limitations on various hardware that you have to make the game work for. So I think in that regard, they'll be fine. But the system in general, I don't know. I don't think it'll work. Interesting, I guess, in terms of the concept of the business, camera. So the the whole notion, I guess the underlying value proposition of Netflix is you sign up for this thing uh, every month or whatever it is, and they their job, once you have that subscription, is just to feed you just enough, just enough valuable content, just enough, you know, stuff to put in front of the kids, just enough things that everyone are talking about that you don't cancel, right? Like, like that's the business model. 
I'm trying to work out where this fits within that. Like, is this just another reason not to cancel? Is that is that what we're talking about? Because it doesn't sound like it's the I'm going to sign up for this sort of product. Yeah, I think it's how they are planning on getting people to almost deepen their relationship with the company. So, you know, when someone's <laughs> a fan of something and then they, you know, they really get into something and then what this is doing is offering them another way to get into the universe of a game, for example. So, like, you know, they're into Stranger Things, they watch it, they they love it, and then what they might do is they might end up playing the game. And so I think that's a way to kind of essentially create more value from the existing IP that they already have. And the other thing is, like, you know, I'm not a gamer. I will play, like, a couple of games of NBA every week. It's actually NBA from 2015. So I've literally been playing the same game for, like, six years. It's just to turn my mind off. Oh, you're, Netflix, you're so ancient and so... So I know. <laughs> no, Says I know. person who hasn't played a game since the 90s. <laughs> if, I, I think for some people, you know, what this does is it will represent uh, something that will kind of keep them hooked. And at the end of the day, these games will probably be a lot less expensive than other things. Like once you develop a game, there's no ongoing licensing costs. It's just there. And, you know, if someone gets really hooked on a game, even it's a simple one like I have with NBA 2K15, they may end up staying subscribing to Netflix. Netflix for years and years, even when there's other shiny things on the horizon. But to me, the obvious choice if they wanted to keep audiences hooked is to just make behind the scenes content because people want it anyway. It's a really natural flow on from, you know, the content that that they're viewing. And I think it's something much more that audiences are actually going to want. Audiences already seek this out when they're interested in a show. They don't seek out a mobile game made exclusively for Netflix. I think in order for it to work, they really would have to be looking at, for example, putting out a PC game. Even if it's a short little demo, I think that that could be really successful for them. But as it stands, the format that it's in now, no, not into it. Not for me. Not even like, you know, the the Netflix answer to no. Candy Crush. I don't know. What are games people play on no. mobile phones? <laughs> I am not qualified to do this. Sorry. <laughs> would, it, like a, would a Netflix version of Candy Crush or Words with Friends, would that be yeah. the, the blockbuster no. it takes though? I mean, I, th- I think it, it could be. It's probably not going to appeal to people who probably identify as gamers. But, you know, there's a very, very large casual uh, market out there for people who would, you know, like like my fiance's mother who, like, you know, plays a kind of Candy Crush game. Like, she might get really into the Netflix version of that. So, yeah, you're probably not going to steal anyone away from, like, COD or whatever. But you might get people just keeping a little bit longer on their Netflix subscription, which is ultimately what they're trying to do. Just make it just like you know indispensable enough that you'll keep paying for it and in case you're wondering no. cod is call of duty see that one i knew that's a <laughs> that's a game with the guns and the explodies yeah that's the one thank you that, that awkward <laughs> moment was everything i hoped for and so much more <laughs> download these shows what you're listening to and lastly on the program yahoo which yes is still a thing uh, have withdrawn from china rad why did that happen China has been changing up some of its policies and introducing new laws, particularly focusing on tech companies. And, you know, this has changed how a lot of them have to operate. And there's a lot of new restrictions on personal information. So they have a personal information protection law, which essentially places new regulations on what they call personal information processes, which includes social medias and the like. So essentially, it's making it a lot harder for these companies to operate in China how they would have previously. And I think a lot of them are just kind of saying, it's too hard, we don't want to anymore. 
This is a pretty common theme that we're seeing, Cam. We've seen a number of major US and European tech companies absolutely struggle to get a foothold in in China. My question is, is it by design? Is the notion within China's leadership that they're big enough to have their own homegrown companies, they'd rather back support them, ones that are grown in their their own sort of tech ecosystem, and why would they become, in effect, colonised by American tech companies? Is is that the kind of the underlying principle here? I think that's that's part of it. We've seen that with uh, Alibaba and Jack Ma, who who founded it, which is it became extremely um, powerful. And then he started kind of getting a bit of a big head about it. But also the the Chinese government seemed to kind of crack down on him because they recognised that he and the company were getting so much power there. So we are seeing some Western companies be able to survive there. The one I'm thinking of mainly is Apple. They have a think about a fifth of their revenue comes from there. They assemble their products there. But as has been reported in the past, they've had to make um, some pretty big concessions, including, you know, storing a data on Chinese government servers and other things like that. So the company's had a problem there for a long time. You know, Uber failed to find a foothold. Google, LinkedIn has now withdrawn. It's kind of when, uh, when you have to go there to try and be successful. It's when you speak to the Chinese government, it's my way or the highway. Okay. So here's the thing about that, right? Because by and large, Apple is, is still, for the most part, it's a hardware company, right? Whereas all the other companies you're talking about are sort of software and connectivity companies who, you know, or social companies. And I could understand why those companies, just on a content level, would struggle under the sort of, I, I mean, you know, I'm going to use the term censorship because it covers a kind of a range of, of interactions with the Chinese government here. Is the reason Apple have managed to find a way through this, like again, comparative to, to other tech companies, because their business is more about hardware and less about, for lack of a better term, software ad? Or am I just well off the mark? I think it's a really interesting point. And honestly, like I haven't thought about it before and it's something I'd have to think about more. But just off the bat, I really feel like Apple do have quite a strong uh, software offering. Like, yes, their phones are what most people are going for, but that's also because of the operating system and they don't sell their phones in China without the operating system. And I think that there's a lot within just that OS that could come under fire by these new laws and policies as well. But again, I'd have to think about it more. It's a good one. It's interesting. Well, in that case, I'd like to say that my opinion earlier was not an opinion. It was a provocation designed purely to start (laughs) debate. (laughs) And I I do not hold it. And that way I cannot be wrong. I can just be provocative. I think that China really doesn't need these Western tech companies, essentially. Like, they have their own companies going on that are doing more than well just in the Chinese market. And I think that it's really easy to, because, you know, Google is all that we know, think that that's the only way that it can be. But at the end of the day, I think China is a very different beast. There's very different expectations, which can be hard to wrap your head around coming from a Western background. And at the end of the day, like, I'm surprised that Yahoo exists now anyway. So (laughs) they pull out of China, like, fine, no big loss for China. That was going to be my next question, which is, Cam, Yahoo, what do they live off these days? (laughs) Oh, actually, funnily, I I use them for fantasy basketball. My basketball fandom seems to be coming up a lot, but that's about it. (laughs) Oh, and also, I think think my mum still uses them for her email. So, uh, you know, the the mums of the world are keeping them alive. And and people obsessed with, like, vintage basketball. (laughs) Yeah, I just imagine Cam forever dressed in, like, a basketball jersey now. I assume that's what he's wearing most of the time. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, that is all we've got time for on the program this week. Huge thank you to our guest this week, Cam Wilson from Crikey, man who loves basketball but only pre-2016. <laughs> thank you. And Angharad Yo from the Queens of the Drone Age podcast and a range of other exciting adventures. Thanks for being on Download the Show. Thank you. And with that, I shall leave you. Hey, if you enjoyed this particular brand of madness, you can leave a review on whichever podcasting app you happen to use. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Download the Show. My name is Mark Fennell and I'll catch you next time. 